0: Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm from the blog Short Stories. Today I'm going to narrate one of my short stories. It's called The Thief of Egypt, Part 4, Chapter 2. The next thing she knew, someone shook her shoulder. Zoe looked up and saw a pair of black eyes staring down at her. It looked confused. Zoe looked out the window and saw that it was evening. The harsh glare of the sun was replaced by a darker shade of blue and the room felt cooler. Zoe looked back at the girl standing before her. She was pretty and she looked the same age as Diana. She wore a straight flat hand and ponytail and she wore a white dress with thin straps over her shoulders. She also wore simple sandals, and she had a turquoise earring on each earlobe. She also wore eyeliner. Red lipstick accentuated her plum lips, and a light blush of red adorned her cheeks. In her left hand, she held a black teapot-shaped nap that served as the only source of light in the darkness. How do I say hi in Egyptian? Zoe thought to herself. Before she could say anything, the girl offered Zoe her hand and waited for Zoe to hold it. Zoe took her hand and the girl let her out of the room. They walked to the main room and Zoe saw the man with another woman sitting on a platform in the middle of the room. A few white candles were placed at the corners of the platform and on the kitchen countertop. The light from the candles barely lit up the room but it allowed Zoe to see some bowls and plates that were placed on the mat. The men waved them over and Zoe joined them on the mat. The girl sat next to her. The woman had light brown skin and black eyes. Her hair was straight like the girl's but unlike the girl, she looked a bit plumber, and her hair was cut short. She looked weary of Zoe, and stared at her with nervous eyes. The man extended his hand, and Zoe gave him her hand. He gave her a warm handshake and smiled. Oh, so that's how they each other, Zoe thought to herself. She shook the woman and girl's hands. The girl smiled and pushed a bowl of soup toward her. It smelled delicious. The man placed a plate of flatbread near Zoe. I guess I'm supposed to dip the bread in the soup, Zoe thought to herself. She tore off a piece of the flatbread and dipped it into the soup. It tasted like beef stew. She folded a piece of bread and used it as a spoon to scoop out the ingredients. She tasted peas, beef, and onions. As she savoured the soup, the girl poured a drink from a wooden jug and gave it to Zoe. Zoe took a sip and coughed. Wow, okay, is that beer? I don't think I'm old enough to drink this. I mean, I tried it once, but I didn't like it, Zoe said. The girl tilted her head in confusion, and Zoe said, "All oh, right, right, you probably don't understand me. She made a motion of scribbling on her palm, and the man understood. He stood up and walked to his room. He came out a few seconds later, and passed a piece of papyrus paper and a stick to Zoe. He also gave her a piece of stone with ink on it. Zoe drew her bow, and drew a question mark in it. The girl tilted her head, her eyes furrowed, as she tried to understand what Zoe was trying to say. Zoe sighed and said, Never mind. I guess I can start drinking alcohol at an early age. She took another sip and wrinkled her nose in disgust. The man laughed at her, and poured milk from another jar. He placed it before her. Zoe gave him a grateful look and drank the milk instead. When they finished the meal, the woman and the girl stacked up the bowls and plates and walked to the back of the house. Zoe wanted to follow them and help with the dishes, but they shook their head and Zoe sat back down. The man drew something on the piece of paper and he passed it to Zoe. She squinted and saw some kind of archaic drawing. Zoe's eyes widened. Wait, are these hieroglyphics? Zoe asked him. The man gave her a confused look and then she remembered that classmate from a history class said the ancient Egyptians Use hieroglyphics to communicate. Zoe stared at the drawing of beneath. But that's not possible. How on earth did I end up in ancient Egypt? Did I travel back in time? Zoe said to herself. Zoe shook her head. No. Maybe all of this is a dream. Maybe I'll wake up in my bed tomorrow. And this is just a fun dream. I mean, I always wanted to visit the Egyptian exhibit. Maybe this is just my brain's way of reminding me about it. Anyway, since all of this is not real, what do they mean? Ugh. If only I had a translation app or a book. Zoe said. Suddenly, Zoe felt something poking her thighs. She felt her left pocket and took out a few brochures. She squinted and saw the front of the cover. It said, New York Museum of Natural History That's weird I wonder why I didn't notice the brochures in my pocket Zoe said to herself She flipped through the ticker's pamphlet And in the last few pages there was a dictionary that taught kids how to read hieroglyphics She used the booklet to translate the pictures and said PTR dot so he scratched her head. Huh? What does that mean? So he mused. She flipped to the last page and he showed some simple words in hieroglyphics, along with English translations. She read a sentence that showed the exact same drawings on the paper. Oh, it says, What's your name? So he said. She flipped back to the dictionary and took a look. Here goes nothing. I hope you understand me, Zoe said. She drew something on the paper. He looked at the drawing and said, Zoe? Zoe nodded and smiled. Zoe, the man said happily. He tore off the part of the paper that had her name on it. He placed the piece of paper in his pocket and stood up. Next, he blew out all the candles. With only the lamp as his source of light, he led her to her room. He placed the lamp on the bench and took out a wooden stick from his pocket. He used the fire from the lamp to light the stick. Then he used the flame to light the wick of another lamp. It was placed on the tea table. He opened the latch on a wooden chest and pushed up the lid. After rummaging through the chest, he pulled out a few pieces of paper in a wooden box. He gestured for her to sit on the bench and placed the set next to her. Next, he placed a stone with ink next to her and drew something on the paper. Zoe looked down and saw a picture of a man sleeping on a mat. His head lay on a small wooden bench. Zoe? the man said, and placed two palms under his head to make a sleeping gesture. Oh, I see. You want me to sleep on the mat and use the wooden thing as a pillow, Zoe said. Zoe nodded to show her understanding, and drew the same set of hieroglyphs to ask what his name was. He took back the paper and drew something. Zoe looked through the dictionary in her booklet. It says here that your name is Sati. Zoe said. Seti, Zoe said, and she pointed to him. He nodded and smiled. When the girl entered the room, she held a lamp in her hand as well. Seti said a few words to the girl, and she nodded. He left the room, and the girl took a look at Zoe before she opened the wardrobe and took out a white dress. She gave Zoe the dress and took off Zoe's jacket. Zoe understood and took off her clothes. She put on the white dress and the girl took out a worn pair of leather sandals from the chest. The girl passed them to Zoe and lay down on the mat. Zoe joined her and laid her head on a wooden headdress. It was a bit hard and uncomfortable but Zoe didn't have a choice. When the girls saw that Zoe knew how to use the headrest, she blew out the flame in her lamp and closed her eyes. Sunlight streamed through the window and landed on Zoe. She stirred and slowly opened her eyes. She felt the wooden head rest underneath her head and slowly sat up. She rubbed her eyes and looked around the room. Where am I? Zoe said grogily. But as she remembered what happened the night before, her eyes went wide as she realized that it was not a dream. The whole thing was real. She really was in ancient Egypt. Oh no. How am I going to get back home? Zoe said to herself. She started hyperventilating and who got off the mat. She started pacing around the room. She was so deep in thought that she didn't notice when the girl entered the room. When the girl placed her hand on Zoe's shoulder Zoe jumped back and gave a yelp. The girl jumped back and looked at Zoe fearfully. Zoe looked at her frightened expression, and tried to calm down. But her heart was still racing against her chest. She sat down on the bench, and rocked back and forth. Her eyes were wide, as she stared at the ground in horror. The girl ran out, and Sati came in. He looked at Zoe and sat down next to her. He placed her hand on her back, and slowly patted her back, until she stopped rocking. She looked at him as tears rolled down her eyes. The girl passed her a small piece of cloth, and slowly used it to wipe her tears. I'm sorry, I'm usually not like this, but I don't know what to do. I can't believe this is real. I'm in ancient Egypt. I mean, I always wanted to go on an adventure, but... This is ridiculous, Zoe sobbed. What if I can't get back home, Zoe continued. Sati patted her back and waited for Zoe to calm down before he said something to the girl and left. The girl led Zoe back to the main room and sat her down on the bed. She went to the courtyard and came back a few moments later. She placed a plate of bread before Zoe in a bowl of milk. As Zoe started eating the bread, the man came out of his room. The woman followed from behind him and she gave Zoe a curt nod before she sat down on the mat. The man waved goodbye to the girl and the woman as he left the house. The girl left to get breakfast and came back with two more pieces of flatbread on a big plate and a wooden jar. As the woman talked to the girl, the girl prepared her breakfast and poured beer into a bowl. The girl said something to the woman and the woman gave Zoe a look of pity. Zoe could tell that they were talking about her. She wished she could understand them and find out more about this place. Zoe went to the girl's room and took a piece of paper. She wrote down her name in hieroglyphs. and asked them for theirs. The girl wrote down a set of hungers. Zoe found out that her name was Anna, and the woman's name was Tali. Anna and Tali took the dishes to the back of the house and came back to the main room. Both of them were carrying wooden buckets on their heads. They gave Zoe a bucket too. As Tali let them out, into the alleyway. Zoe wondered why they treated her so casually. She was a foreigner from another time, and she stuck out like a sore thumb, with her green eyes and modern clothing. They walked to the end of the alleyway and turned right. There was a stone well sitting next to the boundary wall. They walked up to it, and Tali used a rope to pull up a bucket of water. When the bucket emerged from the well, Tali took the bucket and poured the water into a bucket. Anna did the same and passed the rope to Zoe. As Zoe struggled to pull out the bucket, Tali shook her head and helped Zoe pull out the bucket. As they carried the buckets back to the house, a guard walked out from the adjacent alleyway and saw them. As he walked over, Tali quickly pushed Zoe's head down and they walked past the guard. As they were reaching the enemy, the guard said something, and everyone stopped in their tracks. Zoe could feel cold sweat trickling down the sides of her head as he walked up to them and slowly inspected the buckets of water. He was about to inspect Zoe's bucket when Tali said something. The guard grunted and said a few words to Tali. He walked away from them, and continued patrolling the area. When they entered the house and closed the door, Zoe let out a sigh of relief. She somehow knew that if she got caught, she would end up getting thrown in jail for questioning. Anna and Tani led her to the back of the house. Zoe noticed a stone stove in the back of the courtyard. A basket sat around the base of the stove, and a wooden latch sat on the right. This must be where they cook and store their food, Zoe guessed. They stripped down in a corridor near the courtyard. And started using a small wooden needle to scoop out water from a bucket. Tali opened the wooden hatch and walked down the steps. She came back with a bar of soap. She passed them to Zoe. Anat and her took one out from the pocket as well. As they poured water over their bodies, Zoe could see a small baby bump on Tali's body. She also noticed that Tali wore a golden ring on her ring finger. She must be satisfied, wife, Zoe thought to herself. As Zoe rubbed a bar of soap over her body, she noticed that there were rectangular holes cut into the sides of the courtyard. Zoe guessed that the water flowed from there and into a river or reservoir nearby. A crude washing line, held by ropes and wooden planks, stood in the middle of the courtyard. It held her clothes, dresses, and a few pieces of underwear. When they were done, they used a thin piece of cloth to dry themselves. Tony got dressed and scooped the rest of the water into a big wash bucket. She put the bucket near the stove and place the wooden lid on top of the bucket. For the rest of the morning, Zoe helped Tali and Anad prepare dinner. Tali used flour and a few other ingredients like oil and salt to make flatbread. Zoe helped Anad cut the vegetables. Wow! Anad diced the chicken with a cooling made knife. Zoe needed more celery. Entirely pointed to the wooden hatch. Zoe opened the hatch and saw stairs leading down into a cellar. As she descended the stairs, she could feel the temperature difference. It was not as cold as the refrigerator, but it was about cooler than the surface. Mud brick shelves are in the back of the cellar. Swery pots, of all shapes and sizes, sat on them. Zoe opened one and could smell cumin. There were a few wooden crates lying on the ground. Zoe noticed that there was little food left in the crate. As she took a few stalks of celery, she took a lid of a wooden barrel and saw that there was barely any need left. As she left the cellar and opened the hatch, she could see that Anna was munching on a fake. When Zoe's stomach started grumbling, Anna threw one at Louis. Zoe placed the celery on the counter and munched on the fake. Nice. I used to eat these in California all the time. I guess this must be my snack before dinner. kind of miss my potato chips though, Zoe said. Around the afternoon, Anna and Tani left the house. And left Zoe alone to watch the chicken steal in the pot. As the sun started setting on the horizon, Sadie came in with the rest. They were carrying crates of food in their arms. Anna held two small wooden barrels in hers. Zoe watched from a wooden stool as they opened the hatch and carried the food into the cellar. She put down the brochure she was reading. And took a crate from Tali. Tali nodded as a sign of thanks and waddled into the cellar. That night, they ate the dinner in silence, so we could sense some tension between Tali and Sati. They barely looked at each other, and when they did, so could see them frowning at each other. Anna was the only one who looked cheaper as she dipped her bread into the stew. The mood felt different from yesterday when everyone seemed contented and calmer. After they finished their dinner, Zoe helped carry the dishes to the courtyard and watched as Tali scooped out water from the big wash bucket and into a stone container. She placed the dishes onto the container and used a soap bar to wash the dishes. Then she handed the dishes to Tali. Zoe looked up and saw Seti walk wearily into his room. Anat took Zoe's hand and led her into Anath's room. Zoe sat on a bench. Anat rummaged through the wooden chest and took out a necklace. It was held together by a tin string and golden clay beads that were laid with lapis lazuli stones. And the panel was light blue and overshaked. She gave the necklace to Zoe. Wow, it's beautiful. Is this for me? Zoe asked, and she pointed to herself. Anad nodded and placed the necklace around Zoe's neck. She used a golden clasp to join the necklace and sat back. Then she gave her hand mirror to Zoe. After a while, Zoe took off the necklace and passed it back to Anad. She shook her head as she said, I can't accept this, Anat. It's too special. I don't deserve it. You should wear it. It will look prettier on you. Anat frowned and placed the necklace back in Zoe's hand. Suddenly, Zoe could hear a commotion from Seti and Tali's room. It sounded like they were having a heated discussion about something. Zoe heard her name and perked up her ears. She took out her booklet and looked for a sentence. She found one and wrote down a question. It said, Is there a problem? Anat wrote back and said, Zoe looked at her dictionary and could make out the word food. She didn't know the other word, but she assumed it meant food problems. She remembered the low food supply in the cellar. How little food was brought in when they arrived back at the house she started feeling guilty. Knowing that she was probably making it worse, as having her meant an extra mouth to feed. When Zoe looked worried, Anna wrote down. Zoe looked it up and saw that it meant do not worry. Zoe shook her head and said, I know, but it's still my fault. I made life harder for everyone. I don't want to be a nuisance. When Anak gave her a puzzled look, Zoe sighed and said, Man, it really sucks that I can't talk to you guys. I'm going out for a walk. She wrote on the words walk in Heracles. Anat showed her head and quickly wrote down, No, dangerous, in Heracles. I know I shouldn't go out, or I could get caught, but I need to stretch my legs a little. Maybe if I wear something over my head, Zoe asked Anna she made a gesture of trying on a hat. Zoe wrote down the word face in hieroglyphs and placed her hands over her face. Anna nodded and rummaged through her wardrobe. She took out a black cloak and gave it to Zoe. Zoe wrote thank you in hieroglyphs and placed the hood over her head. She opened the main door and waved at Anna. Anna gave her a worried look and shook her head, but as she looked at Zoe, who was halfway out the door, she sighed and waved back. Zoe closed the door, and slipped out into the night. Sefu When he heard someone knocking on his bedroom door, Sefu opened his eyes and groaned. He lay on his bed, Its frame was made of black obsidian stone. In it sat a comfy mattress, stuffed with dark feathers. A wooden bowl lay at the foot of his bed. A few tiny pots with pills sat on his nightstand. As someone kept knocking on his door, Sephu sat up and called out Please stop pounding on the door. Just come in. I'm decent, Sephu called out a male servant with a bald head and brown eyes, suddenly opened the door and a dog ran into the room. He jumped onto the bed and proceeded to lick Sefu's face vigorously. Zaha, stop! Sefu knuckled as he tried to keep the dog off him. Apologies for waking you from your slumber, Prince Sefu, but it is quite late in the day. And you have missed your breakfast for the day, the servant said. Oh, I had no idea. I'll be present for lunch. Oh, and thank you, Hakko. Zohar was still cooped up in the palace, Sefu said. You're welcome, my prince. But you should get dressed quickly. Everyone is waiting for you in the banquet room, Hakko said. When Sefu flopped back into bed, Hakko sighed and drew open the drapes in Sefu's room. The sun hit Sefu's eyes and he cried out By the gods, the sun is too bright. Close the drapes. Hauko closed the drapes, but left them halfway open. He walked to the prince's bed and lifted Sefu up by the shoulders. He placed Sefu down in a wheelchair and wheeled him to his wooden dresser. A golden mirror stood on it. A dishevelled face stepped back and it had been four years since Sefu collapsed outside his bedroom door. The royal physician was called to the palace to run a diagnostic on Sefu. After looking at him, the physician concluded that Sefu had a weak heart. He couldn't do any kind of physical activity, or he might suffer a heart attack. As a result, The king and queen confined Sefu to the palace and made sure that he always had a servant standing outside his door. When Sefu was told he would not be allowed to venture outside the palace, he started feeling sorry for himself. That feeling of bitterness eventually caused him to withdraw into himself. He stopped caring about his appearance a year ago. sometimes. He neglected his personal hygiene by not bathing for days at a time. If not for his servants checking up on him, have wasted away to nothing. Long hair covered his eyes and what was once a healthy and plump face, now leg gaunt and expressionless. Tired eyes stepped back at him as Halko used a wooden comb to comb his messy hair. When Halko took off his black robe, and helped him into his skirt, he could see Sefu's thin body. He felt sad that the prince, who was once so full of life, now looked like the life had been sunk out of him. He tried to lighten the mood. Do you think your sister has already eaten most of the bread on the banquet table? How joked. Sefu shrugged and said, How would I know? I barely see her anymore. When he was dressed and presentable, Hong Kong wheeled him out of the room. Zahul wanted to follow him, but Sefu shook his head. Aminat did not want any of the pets to be present when they ate their meals. zaha whined, but sat down as the door closed in his face. Hong Kong wheeled him down the southern hallway and past the room. He turned to the right, and Sefu could hear after coming from the banquet room. When they entered the room, the laughter died down, and everybody looked solemn as Halko wheeled Sefu to the table. Sefu looked around the table. He barely knew anyone at the table, except for a few noblemen and their family. Arminette sat at the head of the table, and Ayn sat next to her. Both of them looked solemn as they saw Sefu join them at the table. Ain, who used to look lively and happy, now looked slender and haughty. Her long hair was cut short and it was now just above her shoulders. She was still well-built, but her curves made her look more feminine. Sefu caught a few of the noblemen casting glances in her direction. Aminette looked slightly older, as wrinkles were starting to show in the corner of her eyes, but she was still the most beautiful person in the room. Her domineering presence made any man think twice before making rude remarks about her or her family. "'Thank you for joining us, Sefu,' Aminette said. "'Thank you, Mara,' Sefu said politely. Sepho looked at Ayn. She didn't say anything, but gave him a thin smile. Ah, yes, the prodigy's son has decided to grace us to his presence, the man said. Tephu looked to his left and saw a bald man with black eyes looking at him. The man wore a dark blue robe with golden bands on his hands and a golden necklace on his neck. Thank you, Faisir, Senate, Tephu said sarcastically. Senek cleared his throat and said, Now that the prince is here, we can start our meal. Let us feast. Everyone started taking bread and fruits from the table. Haku, who stood behind Sefu, placed a piece of flatbread on Sefu's plate, some cheese, and scooped some vegetable soup into his bowl. When Sefu didn't touch his food, Hakko asked, why are you not eating, Prince Sefu? Because I don't see the point if you're my body, when it is already broken. Sefu answered. But you must eat something, Prince Sefu, or you will not have the energy to live. Halko said worrying. When Sefu looked up at call. he sighed and said, fine, I will have a few bites. He tore off a piece of bread and dipped it into his stew. As he slowly munched on his bread, he gazed around the room and caught Ayn's eye. She looked away and turned to talk to an older nobleman wearing a dark green tunic and black pants with golden rings on his fingers. The nobleman took Ayn's hand at one point, and Sephiro could see a slight tinge of disgust on her face as he leaned down to kiss her hand. The old him would have gotten a laugh but now, as he lay dead on the inside, he could only watch. With an expressionless face, as man got over his sister. When the meal was over, everyone left as the servants started cleaning the table. Halka was going to wheel him out of the room. When Sefu heard his mother instructing Halka to leave him, Halka bowed and went to stand on the other side of the room. How have you been, Sefu? You barely see you anymore, Aminat asked him. I am doing as well as I can be, mother, Sefu replied. That is good to hear, Aminat said. An awkward silence hung over the room. Aminat cut a throat and said, We need to discuss something important. It's about your father. Oh, i forgot i'm old enough now sefu said yes if you must decide soon if we put it off any longer our future will be at stake i mean it's it can you give me a week to decide sefu asked of course sefu but remember if you don't come to a decision it will be made for you said. i understand mother May I be excused? Sefu asked. A nodded and said, Yes, you may leave now. She turned to Hakko and said, Hakko, take the prince to his room, to rest. Hakko bowed and said, Yes, my queen." He took Sefu and wheeled him out of the room. When Sefu arrived in his room, I was waiting outside. She turned to Hako and said, Hakko, please leave us alone. I need to speak with my brother. Hakko bowed and left them alone. My dear brother, how have you been? I have not seen you in a while, Ain said. Sefu snorted and said, That is because you are too busy following mother around. Ain stared at him coldly and said. At least I have the courage to leave my room. It is not my fault you are so weak and feeble. Sefu glared at her and said, What do you want to talk about? Speak now or leave. I am played with a black fingernail and said, Your coronation is coming soon. It is custom that I wed you and we rule side by side. Sefu scratched up his face in disgust and said, it sounds horrifying. Why would I want to marry you? It is not up to us, Sefo. It is part of our tradition. But we will only be married in me. Luckily for both of us, we don't have to consume our marriage, I said, I see. And what does this have to do with me? for asked. If you decide to take up the crown, I will wed you. And we will roll side by side. If not, mother has said that others will take your place, Ayn said. Others? Who else will take my place? Sefu asked. Vizia Senet. Aein replied. Vizia Senate? I don't like that man. But he sounds like a suitable candidate. He knew how father wrote, Sefu said. So you have made your decision, Aein asked him. No, not yet. I asked mother to give me a week to come to a decision." Sefu replied, I don't think that you should let Vizier Senate take over the throne. He may be older, but he does not respect mother, and he has always been by father's side. Desperate for any chance to take over the throne, Iron replied. Sefu noticed a scar on Ayn's left cheek. How did you get that scar? Sefu asked. I looked down He said, I was training with the guards when I lost focus, and one of them cut my cheek with his sword, It must have been painful. Are you alright? Sefu asked. Of course, I always win. I took over the situation and beat the guard, Ainz smiled. For a moment, Sefu could see I' old self, but disappeared as soon as he appeared. She cleared her throat and said coldly, Make a decision soon, brother. She opened a door and shot it in his face. She was so much nicer when she was younger, Sefu sighed. He opened his door and wheeled himself into his room. Zaha let his tail and went up to Sefu to place a paw on his neck. It's good to see you too, Zaha smiled as he scratched her head. He wheeled himself to the window. Below him stood a city. Street stalls sold food and delicacies from around the continent. People from different parts of Egypt flocked to the market stalls to bargain. And he could own it all. But as he set out of the city, all he could feel was sadness and regret. Several watched as a city guard chased a man through the marketplace. Ever since his father died, the city felt colder and was less lively, and the crime rates have been increasing in the past year. He met his father, and in his current condition, the last thing he wanted to do was rule over a country. Under his sister, he was not strong enough to train in the military and he barely had any training in war tactics. He wheeled himself back to his bed and lifted himself onto the mattress. As he lay on his pillow, all he could think about was that he could never leave the palace and visit the river now again. His drawing set lay on his study table and his drawing ink had dried out long ago. Zaha jumped onto his bed and caught up next to him. Sepho scratched his head absently as he stared at the ceiling wondering what the future held for him. I have come to the end of part 4 and the end of chapter 2. If you want to continue reading the story you can visit my blog and short stories or For my book on Amazon.com. And it's under my name, Teresia. So, yeah, that's the end of this podcast. And I hope you like your story. See you next time.